This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer. Today is Wednesday. It's the 22nd of November. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. The wife of a Woodbury County supervisor has been found guilty of voter fraud. IPR's Sheila Brummer reports from federal court in Sioux City. A jury spent about five hours deliberating before convicting Kim Fong Taylor on all 52 counts. She faces up to five years in prison on each count. Prosecutors say she wanted her husband to win his elections in 2020 by all means necessary. They say she took advantage of other Vietnamese immigrants by illegally filling out forms and ballots. Jeremy Taylor was called an unindicted co-conspirator in the case. He lost a GOP primary for the U.S. House and won his supervisor's seat. Taylor's attorney says he respects the decision, and now is the time for empathy for a family that is suffering. A sentencing date has not been set. An influential Iowa evangelical leader is endorsing Ron DeSantis for president before the leadoff Republican caucuses here on January 15th. Bob Vanderplotz announced his endorsement yesterday on Fox News. His support gives a boost to DeSantis as he goes all in on Iowa in an effort to trip up Republican frontrunner Donald Trump. Vanderplotz has endorsed the eventual caucus winner in every election since 2008, though it's unclear if his support will be enough to help DeSantis catch up with Trump. Vanderplotz is the second major backer of the Florida governor that he has picked up in Iowa this month, joining Governor Kim Reynolds. Nonprofit leader Melissa Vine of West Des Moines has started a campaign to represent Iowa's third district in Congress. IPR's Grant Gerlock reports she is the second Democrat to join the race. Melissa Vine is executive director of a nonprofit in Des Moines called The Beacon that serves women coming out of trauma. But before that, after leaving an abusive marriage, Vine says she struggled to rebuild her career while raising four sons. She says systems should better support Iowans when they're in need. I was checking groceries for $8.50 an hour when I first fell into poverty. And now I'm running a nonprofit for women who have experienced homelessness and, and also running a small business and everything in between. So the needs of Iowans are up close and personal to me. Vine faces a primary test with fellow Democrat Lenon Bacom, a military veteran and USDA official who has already earned the endorsement of former Governor Tom Vilsack. The Polk County Housing Trust recently partnered with AARP Iowa to conduct a survey of communities in the county on their policies governing accessory dwelling units, or ADUs. They can take many forms from an apartment in a basement to a separate smaller building in a backyard. Matt Haugie of the Housing Trust says many cities and towns and coastal areas have done away with single-family zoning to allow more housing options like ADUs. We don't have any communities that are looking at policies like that here yet, uh, but ADUs are kind of an, a good and attractive option because they allow new housing to be added to a neighborhood that matches so well with the existing character of that neighborhood. Haugie says many communities in Polk County and around the state have shown interest or in the process of changing zoning laws to allow more ADUs they include Windsor Heights, Urbandale, Iowa City, and Cedar Rapids. And the Iowa DNR is advising people to avoid contact with the Missouri River south of Interstate 80 in Council Bluffs as crews continue efforts to repair a leaking sewer line. The city has been discharging up to 4 million gallons of untreated wastewater daily into the river over the past week during work to repair the line. Dan Olson with the DNR has been monitoring the situation. He says 4 million gallons might sound like a lot, but it's relatively small compared to the flow of the Missouri at that point. The day that it was reported, the flow was 
was a little over 35,000 CFS or uh, I think uh, 22,000 million gallons, uh, 22,000 MGD, uh, and the bypass is four. The initial attempt at repair failed and crews have drilled wells to bring down the water level, flooding parts of Lake Manawa State Park with a mix of groundwater and wastewater. This is Here First. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. You turn on the tap and expect clean water to come out. But that comes with a cost you may not realize. In recent weeks, IPR News has been looking at the question of water quality in Iowa. Today, IPR's Zachary Orrin-Smith wraps up our series with a story about a confluence of federal, state, and local dollars that keep water flowing to a tap near you. There are about 27,000 people living in Marshalltown, and over at the Waterworks, they take their water very seriously. There's a big expectation to make sure that they keep treating water. That's Shelley Lovell. She's the general manager of Marshalltown Waterworks. The plant was built in the 1970s around two clarifying basins that look like massive concrete funnels. And you can see that it comes up, it goes over that trough to go to the filters. And look how clear and clean that water is already. Each is capable of producing 6 million gallons of clean water. And on an average day, 6 million works. The rub, Lovell says during the hottest, driest parts of the year, Marshalltown demands more water than one basin is capable of producing. So if anything breaks... We're immediately down 6 million gallons per day. If one side of the aging water system needs repair, or if a lightning strike causes havoc on the other, residents and businesses could be forced to cut back. And so for years now, Marshalltown Water has been ramping up plans to build a third water line, a system that uses reverse osmosis to filter out pollution and impurities. It's an expensive option, and unlike some Iowa communities, Marshalltown is not dealing with serious nitrate or forever chemicals known as PFAS pollution. But Lowell says it's important to be prepared. Marshalltown hasn't found those chemicals in their water, but we don't know what the future holds, and Membranes positions us really well to be able to deal with whatever might come. Adding another production line isn't the kind of project a town of 27,000 can swing on its own. It needs help. Marshalltown Waterworks is getting a $36 million loan from the state revolving fund. The fund has put more than $1 billion of state and federal funding towards Iowa communities helping to finance big projects like Marshalltown's. Lovell says without the state revolving fund, the upgrade wouldn't be possible. And for a spot in Iowa like Marshalltown, options are important. Unsurprisingly, its biggest water users are its biggest employers, Alliant Energy, Meat Processor JBS, and a regional water utility. We, we don't want to build the Taj Mahal if that's not what's needed for an individual community. That's Kate Sand. She helps administer the USDA Rural Development's Water Loan Program. Different than the state revolving fund, its money focuses on water projects for towns with less than 10,000 people. Over the last five years, it has put $387 million into Iowa water projects. The USDARD, state revolving fund, and other funds meet quarterly to assess water projects. They each have their criteria, but one they have to be careful of is projects that rely on what they call speculative growth. Some applicants argue that if you build it, big employers will come. Sand says that's a no-no for most funders. We're also looking at what's reasonable growth for that community. 
being good stewards of taxpayer dollars, we don't want to overinvest. But for small towns, this kind of infrastructure is part of how they position for the future. Marshalltown Waters, Louisville, is clear that their application for a reverse osmosis line is not about economic development, but it is key to keeping clean water flowing to its town. And there are things, frankly, that we are deferring from a preventative maintenance standpoint until we get this additional 6 million gallon per day treatment train online because we know that we can't get it done within those few hours. Funding agencies told IPR that project financing is tough, but so too is finding qualified operators to run water plants. Jeff Heinrichs is an operator at Marshalltown Water. He's lived in the town for half a century and he doesn't plan to leave. For him, water's a matter of local pride. Nobody has water that tastes like Marshalltown. And I'm very, very, very proud to be a part of the purest, best tasting water in the world. I mean, on a hot day, you'd want nothing more than a good cold glass of Marshalltown water. Heinrich says he wants to see his community grow. And that future is tied, at least in part, to keeping the water flowing. I'm Zachary Oren-Smith, IPR News. This story is part of an IPR News series, The Question of Quality. You can go back and hear or read the stories you missed at our website, IPR.org. This is here first from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. You can find this podcast wherever you subscribe to them.